Welcome to the Birth Warrior Podcast. In each episode, we feature the stories of birth warriors, women who have persevered to find their own truth in pregnancy and birth. As you hear these women share their stories of love, autonomy, connection, and power, it is our deepest wish that you will be inspired, empowered, and supported to find your own truth. We are honored these women have stepped forward to share their personal stories and to help us remember that we all have the power to choose what is right for us. The Birth Warrior Podcast is a presentation of the Indie Birth Association and is not intended to be medical advice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Birth Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Jaden Graham, and on today's episode, we have Elena at 23 Elena had no idea that her decision to say yes to her unplanned pregnancy would lead her on a 10-year journey of claiming the role of being a mother and being okay with it. Her journey included leaving the same abusive relationship six times, a lot of tears, rage, suicidal and homicidal thoughts as she struggled to define who she was as a mother and find mental health. Along the way, she found joygasmic bliss, compassionate self-love, and the power of choice to align herself with health by asking for support, receiving healthy love, and believing in a life for herself that included being happy about being a mom. And I wanted to thank Elena personally for this conversation. It was so great connecting with you. And I hope you all enjoy this conversation. I loved recording her. Thank you so much for listening. Elena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jaden. I'm excited to share today. Oh, I am excited to listen. And yeah, wherever you would like to begin your story. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I think the present moment is probably the best place to start, which is um, just in that space of like why why we're actually talking today and why I feel it's important to share this story. And, you know, we can get into the details of sort of what I went through and what happened to me. But the reason that I'm passionate about sharing this story and about offering that to other women now is that I just didn't know what I didn't know at the time when I was 23 and I conceived my first child. It was just like, I I just didn't know the world of birth. I didn't know uh, what was possible in terms of the impact of birth on our lives afterwards. And so, you know, having gone through my own struggle and my own challenge and uh, postpartum depression, postpartum rage, postpartum postpartum like suicidal ideation, you know, all of these things. Uh, it's just, and then having come through the other side, I think it's really important to share these stories and go, you know, you can recover from those experiences. Uh, the way that we birth our babies absolutely impacts uh, how we live our lives afterwards. And when we can do stuff like what indie birth supports and what I support through my podcast and my work in terms of coming into alignment with fully being in our own power, fully being in our own connection with self, um, understanding our own authority, then the impact, the, the experience of our birthing our babies can be radically, radically different. And then the impact on our lives after can be radically, radically different. So mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to, <laughs> I was like, this yeah. is why we got to keep talking about it. Got to share the stories and, and learn from each other's lessons, you know, without having to go through it ourselves. So I like to say, you know, if you don't have to, if you 
can listen to this podcast and don't have to go through the crap that I went through, like then it was definitely worth it. So yeah. can make better decisions based on my mistakes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, you know, it our our mistakes can be our our greatest teachers. And yeah, it's it's yeah, it's glad to glad to have you here because obviously it seems like that you learned from your you know from your so-called mistakes and then chose to go a different path as well yeah yeah so, yeah and yeah so we, oh go ahead Oh, I was just saying, absolutely. Like the things that, you know, I'm 34 now. So my 23 year old self thought was a good idea. My 25 year old self thought was a terrible idea. I was like, why did I go forward with this pregnancy thing? <laughs> my 27 year old self was like still reeling with the challenge. My 29 year old self was like, I think I'm almost on the other side. And then like the 20 or the 33 year old self is like, gosh, I got to help other ladies with this. I got to, you know, I got to support actually probably all the way, all the way through. I was like, I'll get through this one day and I'll help other people. I'll get through this one day and I'll help other people, you know? So I really think that that, you know, if anybody's really in a place where they're really struggling with their mental health, their exhaustion or overwhelm or whatever, like that vision of yourself recovered, that vision of yourself on the other side can absolutely be the thing that like causes you to make it through to the other side. So yeah, but let's dive into like what, what happened, you know, yeah, cause let's. all of that's in very let's. general terms and yeah, yeah. Let's, let's please do that. Yeah, so I think I think probably starting maybe even as far back as like because the, the important things I think that they're like for me there's an important piece around like birth control there's an important and and Western versions versus like body based versions there's an important piece around um, like conscious choice and knowing what we're getting into so I think I like to start you know sort of with that journey of being in high school or junior high not being interested in sex intimacy connection anything like that like sort of being like Ugh, boys you know kind of grossed out by it and having this like western uh, school education coming towards me being like sex will result in babies <gasps> terrible life-threatening <laughs> life-ending thing or right, STDs right. <gasps> you are un unlike lovable and unworthy yeah. and yeah. disgusting, you know, and then, and, and that's sort of the, you know, I didn't get a lot of sex education from my parents. We didn't talk about it much. And so that was my intake into the world of intimacy was this sort of like school system chat about it. And I would, I only barely paid attention. And I was like, Oh, this doesn't matter to me. And then, you know, a couple of months later, I had found my first boyfriend. I was like, oh, what is all this? And started exploring. And within a very short period of time, got into the, oh, okay, well, I don't want to have a baby. If I ever have a baby, probably I'll just get an abortion. You know, if I ever accidentally conceive, I'll probably just like, nah, whatever. Like, I don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I, I went from 15 on, where 15 to 32, I was on hormonal, hormonal birth control of some shape or form. Mm -hmm. And I think this is really important to talk about because hormonal birth control has impacts beyond uh, stopping pregnancy in the short term. It has long-term mental health consequences. It has long-term gastric like digestive digestion and reproductive health uh, consequences. And it can really impact how we are able to then reproduce later. You know, you're on birth control for 20 years, you're now 35, you're like, hey, I want to make babies. It can really impact how long it takes you to go through that conception journey and the outcomes of that conception journey. Mm -hmm. If you haven't done sort of the cleansing and, and healing from that, the, all those hormones uh, in the first place. So, you know, at 15, 16, I decided 
I'll follow what school told me and I will go to my family doctor and go get myself a prescription for the pill because that was the one that seemed easiest and normalist or whatever. And she actually refused me. She said, nope, like you're too young. That's against my morals. I can't support that. And that was one of the first moments where I really felt under supported by medical professionals. I was like, I'm literally asking you for something that I've been like told and trained is supposed to help me prevent, you know, STD. Well, not the pill doesn't prevent, prevent STDs, but prevent pregnancy, which was my biggest concern at the time. Um, and so then, you know, I had to go look for other sources. I found a clinic that would, uh, that worked with teens specifically, and they were able to connect me with all the condoms I wanted. Woohoo. And, uh, and, and birth control as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was excited. Uh, there's a lot of like, it's like, oh, like my 16 year old stuff is like, what is this like whole world of baskety things of like interest that I didn't even know about? Like there's so many things underneath these covers. Right. So, uh, you know, I went into exploring, I was really excited about that. And then for the next uh conceived when I was 23 so for the next 16 to 23 next oh my gosh my brain seven years uh I you know sort of explored that but what also happened was I started experiencing depression on a fairly significant level to the point where it started impacting my schoolwork um you know the story of intimacy in my family and my excitement about it my family's like trepidation about it um you know caused a rift there that was really challenging and resulted in you know sort of a depression that kept deepening mm -hmm. and when i look at this it's like oh the body is being tricked by the the hormones in the birth control to think it's pregnant which means it's consuming nutrients in a way that it wouldn't normally do Okay, so we look at the the mental health implications of being malnourished in a normal, healthy looking body. What does that do? Oh, we start experiencing more anxiety. We start experiencing more depression. But at that point in my life, it was just kind of normal. It's like, oh, she's a moody teenager. We didn't really think about it too much. Right. And so, um, you know, fast forward to uh, 23 when I conceived my son and there was this experience of um, just sort of like recklessness and lack of care for self that was then really pivotal and part of this last 10 year journey. Right. So it's like, uh, like I hate life. It's not worth living. Like I'll just drink myself into oblivion every night. A lot of people do this in their mid twenties. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, I'm not sure. Like there was this existential crisis that was kind of brewing already. Mm -hmm. And then one second. Hmm. Um, so there's this like existential crisis brewing already. And then at 23, I'm, uh, there's a whole story about, um, you know, how I met my son's dad and the love triangle that was involved around that, which I will probably record a podcast on, um, on my podcast. Now that I'm mentioning, I'm like, that's a really interesting story. Actually, it's a really strange story, but we won't get into that here. Um, <laughs> um but the the interesting thing is that I then, you know, sort of my my primal woman body, even though intellectually I was like, well, if I have a baby, I'll have a I'll have an abortion. I'm not really interested in children. I thought they were kind of insane, kind of weird, kind of awkward and yucky and like really demanded a lot of attention. I wasn't interested in getting pregnant. Um, but then I made a decision to stop using birth control. And it turns out if you just decide to stop using birth control and don't do something 
else like natural family planning or fertility awareness method, you know, that I've now studied and understand, chances are you will get pregnant unless you've got some sort of underlying condition, PCOS or endometriosis or whatever. And so at 23, you know, I remember uh, I was staying with my parents at the time and I remember lying in bed and being like, there's a really funny feeling in my stomach but it's actually not really in my stomach. It's like kind of below my stomach, like, huh, what's going on, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had just separated, I had just separated from my son's dad like a couple of weeks earlier. Cause I was like, this is not working. This is really like a crappy relationship. I'm not being treated well. I deserve better. Da, 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 da. And yet then here I found myself with this situation of like, there's this strange sensation in my belly. And I go like, I might be pregnant. Mm hmm. You know, which is something I had never wanted, never desired, never, you know, I was like, no, it's not going to happen. So then I had this process of sort of going, okay, what do I do with this? And because I was raised in a family where my parents stayed together, and even though it was challenging for them at times, my values were very much aligned with like being together with my son's bio dad. Mm -hmm. And so then I, uh, so then I reconnected with him. I said, hey, you know, I think we might be pregnant. Let's take a pregnancy test and see what happens. And sure enough, I peed on that little stick and I was looking at it and being like, no, 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 no. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's a, that's a, I'm like 99% sure that's a yes. I really want it to be a no, but it's a yes, you know, and kind of. Uh, the dreaded, yeah. two the so, dreaded two blue lines or pink lines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think they were blue, but uh, I was just like, oh my God, you know, and there was this kind of, there was this moment there where I looked at him and I went, gosh, I don't want to be with you, but now I'm not sure what's going to happen. Now I'm not sure what, what, what's, what we should do, you know? And I, yeah. I kind of looked at him and we we sat and talked for a bit and I, I checked in with myself and I went like, is there any part of me that feels like I should get rid of this baby that I should, you know, get an abortion, release this baby, whatever. And the immediate answer was like, nope, nope, absolutely not. Like you should like stick with it. Even though I didn't think that I wanted to have a baby, even though I wasn't with somebody who was stable or kind or loving or whatever. It was just like, oh, yeah, the, the next best thing is to, like, keep this baby. And all of me, like, I think it was probably one of the most clearly aligned, like, yeah, do this moments I'd had for, like, a decade in my life. And I was like, huh, well, that's interesting. So let's listen to that. And I asked him the same question. I said, does any part of you think that this is a bad idea, that we should maybe not have the baby, blah, 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 blah. And he also, like, was like, nope, we should do this. So from that point forward, I was like, okay, we're doing this, I guess. And, um, and I think this is a really like important point to sort of like, this is like a, a core mistake moment, not that my son is a mistake, but like a core moment where I let the, uh, you know, sort of the stupid romantic love that had drawn me into relationship with him in the first place, the unhealed wounded parts of me that wanted that kind of like nasty relationship rather than a loving, healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. I let those parts run the, run the ship, you know, okay, yeah, let's just do that. And, you know, what I've learned over the last decade is like, if I'm going to make a decision, like my mind has to be in alignment with my heart has to be in alignment with my womb. And at that point, I was just asking my womb. My womb was like, I'm pregnant. Like, let's do this, right? My mind didn't really go like, uh, you don't like kids. You don't, you know, like that that wasn't really engaging. Mm -hmm. And so the decision that I made, you know, I then had to live with the consequences of it. And my heart really wanted a, a 
functional, you know, white picket fence family like I'd been raised in, which was, you know, loving and kind and supportive. And the, you know, the mind didn't really connect with that and go like, oh, and this is not the place to do that, or this is not the right person to do that with or whatever. So fast forward, um, you know, I'm now eight months pregnant. I've moved back in with my son's dad because I was living with my parents when I found out I was pregnant. I was tra- had been traveling a bunch and, you know, eight months pregnant. And I'm going like, I'm working my butt off. This guy's sitting on the couch and doesn't have a job. And I, I sort of like the shit hit the fan. And I was like, oh, like, I'm going to have to carry this. This is this is me. This this other guy is not helping. I'm going to have to do this on my own and what kind of help can I get? And then like, again, it's like, thank goodness for my parents. They were super, super supportive. And I, at eight months pregnant, I like, you know, kicking and screaming with him really like grumpy and angry at me. I moved myself out of that apartment back into their house and was like, okay, I'm done. No more, no more. Right. And But he had been coming to prenatals with me, like Western medical prenatals. I'd seen the business of being born at this point. So I knew I didn't want like a big hospital birth because I was like, oh, that's going to end in cesarean. It's going to be really like traumatic and challenging. I don't want that. But I was still too programmed with, you know, other people's authority Mm -hmm. to really understand what was going on. Right. I had been, you know, I just like jumped through the hoops and done the, the good girl things and and done what I was supposed to do along the way. The occasional exception that made a disaster. But, um, you know, generally it was like, oh, just like follow what people tell you and, and things will go well. And so I. Um, I had a really, uh, I remember finding out I was pregnant and the, the old white guy doctor who was like our family doctor is like, Hey, I'll just like rummage around in the dark here and like check your fundus. And I was like, oh, like, so like, that was like, I was like, ah, what's happening? You know, yeah. like, it's just like so rude. Like, yeah. <sighs> you know, it was like, I still remember that to this day. I'm like, I'd have punched that guy in the face if I was like fully <laughs> in my own authority. Right. Like get the frick away from me. Like, <laughs> but at the time, but at the time, right, like my young self was just like, oh, like some man will stick his fingers in my vagina to figure out if I'm pregnant, even though I already heard this sensation from in my body. I already took the press, the test, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I still needed that like external validation from like authority figure to tell me what was going on. So back to like sort of pregnancy. So uh, baby, my baby's dad had been coming to prenatals with me. The prenatals felt like, ugh, like I decided on a smaller hospital outside of Calgary where we were living. So not the big hospital, but a smaller one that had like a more gentle sort of maternity care rather than like pumping babies through the system kind of maternity care. So I was hoping for that. I'd looked into getting midwives, but they hadn't become regulated here yet. So they were out of my price range and busy, right? They sort of laughed at me when I called them four months pregnant and was like, do you have space for me? And they're like, uh, call us before you get pregnant with your next baby. Maybe we'll have space for you. Um, you know, so the kind of care I knew I had this idea that I wanted a different kind of care, but it, it wasn't available to me at that time in the way that I wanted. And so, you know, we were just sort of doing like normal, <clears throat> excuse me, normal hospital birthing type stuff and he had come with and that felt nice that he was there but what I didn't realize was I had this idea okay well he'll be at the birth I think it's important for people to be at like the birth of their own children that seems monumental important somehow but what I didn't count on was how bonding birth is how much the oxytocin is just like womp, 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 womp. so we separated when I was eight months pregnant and I carried to 
41 and a bit, something like that. Um, you know, and sort of there's this like induction stuff coming from the hospital. And I was like, nope, 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 nope. And my waters actually leaked for about four or five days before uh, I gave birth to my son. And I remember looking on the internet and being like, is this okay? Am I going to die? Like, should I go to the hospital? I'm like, if I go to the hospital, they're going to induce me. I'm not, they're not going to induce me, you know? So I had this like fierceness of protecting the birth, but the subconscious, the subconscious had not been resolved yet. The subconscious was very much still on the like, go to the hospital, follow the rules, like be, be a good girl in that birthing system, right? <clears throat> so... You know, so in those last weeks, very heavy, very like awkward in my hips, hanging out on a birthing ball at the dinner table kind of thing. And just sort of getting to that point of like, wow, I'm really ready for this baby to be done. And because I was single parenting <clears throat> and had been working, um, I was still working like on I was doing web design at the time, like right up to the, you know, the days before birth and um, and just sort of like still really in that like anxious uh, needing to provide for energy which is not super conducive to like a relaxing and, and peaceful birth or connection with baby or any of those things. You know, I, I know that now. I didn't know that at the time. Um, so then the actual like birthing experience, I remember. Um, so my waters were leaking for a couple of days beforehand. So I just got used to sitting on towels, like wherever I went, I would just like sit on a towel and then I, maybe I'd move a little bit to the right. And it's like, oh, something's going off. And now what I know is that likely my waters were leaking because I had some form of bacterial overgrowth going on in my body, which was causing the sack of waters to degrade. Um, and, and because my microbiome was wildly out of whack at that point, I was living on mostly carbs and uh, cheese, you know, that those were my preferred foods and had been for a decade or more. Um, and so my microbiome was absolutely not fully supportive of, you know, healthy, that healthy sack staying intact all the way until, until birth was happening. Mm -hmm. Again, I didn't know that at the time. I know that now looking back, I'm like, oh, that was really obvious. Um, and so, you know, just getting used to sitting on towels and being in that space. And, okay, well, sometime soon this will happen. And, um, and then, you know, the night that the night before my son was born, it was like maybe 8 p.m., something like that, sort of evening-ish uh, in December he was born. So around that time, my waters uh, broke. I was, they started leaking, right? They'd been leaking for a while. They started leaking more aggressively. So I remember sitting on the edge of the tub and my, <clears throat> my waters um, sort of sitting like, sitting there and being like, huh, like there's liquid coming out of me. It's not pee. It's, uh, there's a lot of it. It just keeps coming, you know, but it's kind of gushing like pee. And there's these little like white flecks of, um, of vernix in it. You know, I was like, oh, I, I know what that is. Ah, you know, and I'm on the phone with my, my baby's, uh, dad and going like, Hey, like, you'll never guess what's happening. My water's, um, my water's breaking. Like, he's like, oh my God, I should come over. I'm like, no, I think it'll be fine. Like, don't worry about it. Like, I'll call you in the morning kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, super classic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no idea what's about to happen next. And, you know, so I sat there for a bit with my waters um, leaking, you know, until they sort of all finished and everything seemed fine for a bit. And then like, boom, labor's on, right? Contractions. Uh, my dad and sister were like out of the, in, in the basement, I think. My mom was out of the house. So it was just me for a while. So I just got into that like birthing labor mode. Um, 
you know, I sent everybody away. It's like, eh, like I'll just be in the living room or the bathroom and sort of just like moving around the house and moving my body. And my mom and I talked about this recently. She said she came home and she, there's this like howling going on in the house, right? I don't even like, I'm just doing the birth thing. I don't really recognize that I'm like making all these strange sounds and stuff. And my mom said I was like moving all over and just sort of like, squatting, standing, moving, squatting, standing, moving. So in that I can see like my body really did know what it was supposed to do, what it needed to do to move that baby through. And at some point, uh, you know, we realized like baby was probably coming soon. My mom started timing contractions. Um, and she said they were like one to three minutes apart, you know, within that first hour of those waters breaking, it was like really picked up and was starting to go. And I remember being like, there's supposed to be a break between these things. Like there's no break. Where's the break? There's no break here. Where's the break? There's no break. Um, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so things progressed really quickly. And my dad went and got uh, my son's dad because that, you know, I was expecting that he would be there. And I went up to the shower and started laboring in the shower in the in the warm water. That was always a comfort place for me in general. So it seemed really good idea to be there. And uh, you know, my, my mom tells the story that I like, he, he arrived and kind of went upstairs and then we spent some quiet time in the shower. Well, not quiet, not so quiet, but like yeah. time to ourselves in the shower, um, just sort of continuing being in that labor space. And then I remember this like so vividly, the sensation in my body of like, oh, like this baby's coming now, this baby's coming out now, you know? And I just, I looked up at him and I went, baby's coming now. Is that okay? And he goes, no, you could see like, just like utter fear in his eyes, terror, right? He's just like, no, 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 no. Like we need to be at the hospital. We need to drive there, blah, 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 all these things in his mind. But I had this such a sensation, you know, and with my contractions a minute apart with, you know, my water having broken already, like, absolutely. It makes sense. I was experiencing fetal ejection reflex. My body was like, let's get this baby out. It's time. Mm -hmm. But I was looking for authority. I was looking to this man who had never studied anything birth, mm -hmm. who was not a good partner for me for permission, right? To birth my baby when my baby was telling me it was time, mm -hmm. you know? And so at that moment I went, okay, I guess it's time to leave the bathtub where I'm very comfortable, get in the car mm -hmm. and go to the hospital. And, you know, in that moment, like if I could go back and redo anything, it would be like, I just wouldn't have invited him into space. I just labor and deliver my own baby on my own, you know, like now with what I know, it's like, oh my gosh, like I should not have been looking for that authority. But because I was in labor land, because my brain was like all hooked up on like all those labor hormones and the deep subconscious was still looking for authority. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. Yeah. So then there's this really funny story of like, I'm at the front door and they've prepped the car and grabbed like buckets and you know, in case I puke or um, blankets and stuff to put in the back seat in case I birth in the car or whatever, everybody's prepping stuff around me. And they're like, okay, Elena, time to go. And, but you have to put pants on first. And I'm like, pants, like fuck pants. I don't want to wear pants. Like it's like minus 10, 20 degrees Celsius outside. Like it's December in Calgary. It's cold. It's really cold. And I'm just like, I don't want to wear pants. Like, ah, it's so stupid. It's so uncomfortable in my body. Why would I put pants on? You know? Um, 
And so eventually they get me to put pants on and we get into the car and oh, then labor hurt. You know, I don't remember it hurting during that, that laboring at home part. It was intense for sure. There was nothing else I could do but be in it. But in that car drive, it was like the sensations completely changed. There was so much like it, it went from being intense to painful. And my mom, who is a very like, like by the books uh, driver, she ran a red light for me. She like she was like, we're going, we're going as fast as we can. You know, that'll stick in my mind forever. Um, and we ended up at the hospital and the hospital staff felt really invasive to me. They were, you know, my mom says they were really, really kind. And she ended, my mom ended up being there through the labor and delivery experience along with my uh, son's bio dad. But um you know, I just remember being like, why are you talking to me? What is going on? Like, who, why do you have all these questions? Like, just shut up and let me get back in the shower. Like, why is there not enough hot water? What's going on? You know, like I knew part of me knew what I needed, but the rest of me had to deal with like the hospital life. Um, so then there was this experience of sort of being in the hospital, readjusting, getting back into that labor land. And I never really got back to that fetal ejection place. Like I ended up doing probably about an hour, two hours of like forced coached pushing, <gasps> you know, like I didn't really feel like it. It didn't like, I have the, the distinct sensation of what I felt like in that bathtub. And then later it was like, I was trying so hard, you know? And I remember there was a moment, there was a moment of uh I was I was moving around and then somebody was touching my butthole and I was like what is happening you know like what 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 just happened and there's this there's this sweet little lady who's nursing there like who's a nurse there she goes oh sweetie like you've got some poop on your bum like I need to wipe it up and I go what do you mean I have poop on my bum and there's like uh I look down at the floor and there's this like little turd nugget like this little soft turd nugget on the floor. And I'm like, why did nobody tell me I would be pooping all over the place? Like nobody warned me. Like, what do you mean? I'm going to be I'm like pooping. This lady's been wiping my butt for an hour and I haven't even noticed. Like, what the fuck? You know, just yeah. like totally, just like totally shocked. It's like things I wish people would have told me. Right. Um, <laughs> so then I end up in this like coach pushing experience. And at some point, they go like, okay, you have to get on the bed now. And my I'm, my mom shares, like, I don't remember a lot of it. I, like, obviously the poop moment really stuck in my brain. There's a couple other things. But my mom says, like, up until that point, I had really been just, like, moving around and, like, squatting and standing and stretching and, you know, and just moving with the flow of the labor. And then it was like, you got to get on the bed. And I was just, like, angry, you know, super angry. Um, and I had this like non-invasive, you know, birth vision of like delayed cord, cord clamping, no shots, no drops in the eyes, you know, all of these things. I'd been through a doula course at that point. And so I, I had, you know, done that birth plan exercise that helped a couple people through their birth plan exercise. And I knew what I wanted. And so I ended up on all fours on the like labor delivery bed with like six people behind me that I didn't even really recognize were in the room because I was so far down in labor land. Um, and then this place of being like coached and pushing and pushing, pushing my son out. And I remember in those last couple seconds, right before he was born, feeling such an intense sensation in my body of like, I have to tell them like, don't cut the cord. Don't put shots in him. And like, like he needs to be on my skin right away. These were like, the, they're just like, like, like a, like a freight train, like in my head, just like say these things, say these things. Mm -hmm. And because of where I was at in my life at that time, I couldn't actually verbalize them. Mm 
Right. They and didn't did you, actually you, come out of my mouth. And there was no conversation about this beforehand, uh, specifically um, about what you wanted, your your um, your wishes um, with your uh, um, baby's uh, bio dad. Yeah. No, our communication was pretty terrible at that point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we went to prenatal appointments together. We drove silently in the car. We didn't talk in between. We weren't living together. I had just left. His heart was kind of broken. My heart was kind of broken. We were like excited to be together in the car, but also like not not interested in like not really capable of talking more more clearly about what was going on or planning or anything like that. I did have a woman who was a doula. I had met her while I was taking my doula training course. So she was there and offering sort of emotional support along the way. I really have no memory of her being there, to be honest. My mom says she was there. Um, you know, I know that uh, we met and connected, but like there's no sort of like vivid memories around that from that time. So I did have, I did have that support and she and I had talked about that kind of stuff, but in that moment, like it just, it just didn't happen. And then what happened as I delivered and, and my baby came out of my body is that my vagina tore open, you know, I think second or third degree tears sort of thing. Um, and then the next thing I remember is lying on my back and I don't know where my baby is and, um, you know, somebody's. Uh, handing him to, I'm going like, where is he? Where is he? I want to hold, or I didn't know it was a him yet, but um, like, I want to hold them. And they're just like, no, you can't hold your baby yet. Um, you know, we've got to stitch you up. That's the next thing that needs to happen. And just feeling like, I don't care. Like, just let me hold him. Just let me hold him. But again, because of that sort of programming of authority, they go, well, you're, you know, his, his, his uh, father can hold him. So I go, take off your shirt, skin to skin, you know, just like howling at him. So he takes, off, he looks really terrified. He takes off his shirt and holds, holds our son at his chest. And so then my, you know, the, that golden hour they talk about is like my, the initial moments of that golden hour were me being in excruciating pain because, um, they're like stitching up my labia yeah. Right. And looking at my son's dad being like, he can take care of him better than I can. He can take better care of him than I can. I can't take care of him. I'm not allowed to take care of him. I'm, I'm injured, too injured to take care of him. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, and I'm giving my authority away to these other people. Mm. And so, gosh, it took me like 10 years to unpack that moment and the impact that moment had on my life. Right. Mm -hmm. So I ended up, <clears throat> Yeah. So we ended up in hospital for a couple more days after that, just sort of like having some support with breastfeeding. Breastfeeding went pretty well um, and then was excruciating for a bit. I had a lactation consultant come in and help me with my latch and just getting it, getting it way deeper. And then the, the latch fixed up a bit, but there was this sensation of like, I'm nursing. I want to punch you in the face. That's a really weird combo. Like, how do I deal with that? What's the thing? I'd been to some La Leche groups beforehand. And so I knew like, okay, if I'm having issues with this, like reach out to somebody it was super important to me to breastfeed, super important to me to like birth naturally. Um, I remember, I don't remember birthing the placenta at all. Um, but I do remember at some point in the future, like after, after having birthed it being like, where is that? I wanted to eat it. And it's like, oh, it's gone into like medical land now, you know, like nobody asked me about it. They just wanted to get it out of the way and be feeling really like 
hurt and sad about that too like why did nobody ask like I wanted to do something with I wasn't I wasn't prepared to do anything with it particularly but like I hadn't brought a bowl or a bag or anything but like there had been this desire to do that but not the planning kind of thing because I was lost in Laborland when we went to the deliver space um yeah so just sort of like all of those things and then in the yeah and then in the weeks afterwards like my son's dad spent a lot of time at the house. We had a lot of like sort of close, like bonding family moments. And I really didn't count on how intensely that oxytocin of him being there would really bond us together. And I had to spend a lot of time undoing that. We got back together. We broke up and got back together six times uh, in about three years. So that will give you a little bit of information about how unstable and not great that was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a lot of lot to, lot I learned about alcoholism and codependence and and whatnot that we we don't need to get into here, um, but that I do touch on more in my own storytelling. Um, yeah, and so then you know, with that labor experience and in those months postpartum, what began to present was um, a very excited, empowered giddy, laughing her head off for no particular reason, um, woman, you know, myself, and then also like sobbing uncontrollably. So in those months after my son's birth, you know, I would go back and forth from like hysterically laughing to sobbing uncontrollably for, you know, sometimes hours on end in this really like bipolar experience of non-integration is how I understand it now. It's like parts of me felt elated at having become a mother, really understood the true nature of consciousness, really understood, um, you know, unconditional love in new and profound ways. And then other parts of me were still stuck in the trauma of that birth experience. I'm not capable. I can't do this. I'm not able to support us. I'm not able to provide that care. Um, And then that moved forward. So at 10 months postpartum, I had again moved back in with my son's baby dad Mm -hmm. and by 10 months postpartum, I had again, you know, two months in or something been like, oh gosh, this is not working. You know, I moved into a house later. I found out they were dealing cocaine out of the house. I'm like, Mm -hmm. not a good place to be, Um, you know? And so I actually packed up and moved myself and my 10 month old to Mexico. I was like, I got to get away from this guy. I need to put a lot of distance between us. Um, And so we actually moved to Mexico and then lived for about six months in Mexico, my son and I, 10 months old and built community around us. You know, I would always have potlucks and people would come over. There was one lady, she'd do my dishes for me. Um, when She'd come over early and do all the dishes I hadn't done that week, that kind of stuff. And really just creating support and having beautiful, like the Mexicans really understand family in a way that I think Western culture doesn't quite get it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so ha- really having that around me was was super beautiful and super supportive. Yeah. And then that began like a 10 year journey of sort of bipolar experience, postpartum depression, postpartum rage um, that extended, you know, well into my son's third, fourth, fifth year where I was really, really struggling with it and like doing a lot of personal development work, doing a lot of uh, mindfulness and mindset and undoing like shadow work and understanding traumas. And really like I say, he was my wake up journey. Like I finally had a reason to be better. I was like, I'm being a shithead to my kid right now. And my mom was a really lovely, peaceful human. So something's wrong with what I'm doing. Something's not right here. I need to work on fixing that. 
and come to a better place. So I really had reason to do that work, um, not only for my son, but also because I didn't want to be a, you know, a screaming, <laughs> screaming, yelling, like inside raging, like angry human. I wanted to be loving and unconditionally kind and patient and stuff like that. So, yeah. So that was like, that was the catalyst, that right? The catalyst, so. Right. That was, that was the catalyst. That was like, I had been depressed and in this sort of like murky, crappy world for many, many years already, but my son's birth really intensified everything. Right. Like, and now I understand, oh, like giving birth, um, is like a marathon. Gosh, did I have the kind of support that I needed? Um, it's interesting looking back on it 10 years retrospect, because at the time, I remember feeling so alone. I remember my son's dad sleeping in the same bed as me and waking up with like excruciating nerve pain in my vagina as my like labia wove back together um, and re-understood what it was to be connected to my body. Um, I remember waking up in excruciating pain and feeling like I couldn't wake him up. Like I was constantly trying to keep my baby quiet so we wouldn't interrupt anybody else because there were quite a few people living in the house and I knew everybody else was working. So there was really this internalized, like, don't be a problem, don't be a burden. when what I understand now is like really the way that the mother is cared for is the to the extent that she can care for her baby. So I needed to ask, hey, can I live here for six months without paying you guys rent so I don't have to work for the next six months? Didn't know how to ask that. Therefore, I didn't ask it. Therefore, I was back on my computer three days later being like, got to finish up this client project, ah, da, 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 you know, and, mm-hmm. and I was baby wearing and cloth diapering and like doing all of the good things, but like really hadn't understood what it was to ask for help and receive help. And so then, you know, so then there's this experience of like pain in my body or feeling so exhausted that I'm like, I just sit down on the top of the stairs and just like cry. Yeah. You know, and instead of being like, can somebody watch my baby for an hour so I can sleep? Mm-hmm. Or can somebody make my bed because I'd really like it to be made, but I don't have the energy to do it myself. Or my mom was cooking and doing groceries. Like I wasn't even doing that work. It still felt overwhelming. I still didn't have enough support. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back, it's like, oh, I, ha- I had traded a woman web design for foot massages. She came over and gave me like pampering, loving care. Mm-hmm. I needed six of those ladies. You know, we went for walks three days a week. I needed a walk every day of the week. Right. So there was like a level of, of loving and care and kindness that took me four or five years to really realize like, oh, I really need this support. And I really need to ask for that. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, you know, I carried a lot of resentment um, about that birth experience, Um, not only for the changes in my body and the changes in my mindset, you know, my son for many years, I remember he was about seven when I really authentically, like with my full body felt true, like love for him, where I was like, oh, I do love you. You know, I was a caring because my mom had been such a wonderful human being and like, she's an early childhood educator stuff like that. So she's a really good role model of what it is to interact with loving, lovingly with children. Mm-hmm. So I had that, that was my base programming, mm-hmm. but I would be going through the motions and people would compliment me. Oh, you're so good with him, blah, 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 blah. But inside I would go, they don't fucking know what's going on in my mind. I'm a fucking bitch. I hate this kid, <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah. whoa, 
whoa like that was my that level of intensity was my response to every single compliment I received on my parenting for the first seven years of my son's life this is a lot we were we lived on the beach in a tourist town we get a lot of compliments it was just like "Ah," you know so there was this there was this like dichotomy living inside of me of Mm -hmm. actually doing pretty good in the outside world but because of the because of the not respecting of my wishes, because of the inability to verbalize them, because of the sort of that kink in the hose that happened during that birth experience where my autonomy got ruptured, I didn't feel connected to that person who was doing that good mothering. There was part of me, you know, and I understand it as like shadow aspects of self or like small wounded parts or soul fragments, you know, whatever languaging you want to use to do it. It was like part of me was like trapped back in that birth moment being like, I just need to say the thing and I can't even say the thing, you know. And so it wasn't until my sixth breakup with my son's dad where I was, I, you know, for weeks I'd go back and forth and I'd go, okay, I'm going to go like do my morning meditation. And in my morning meditation, I would go, okay, I need a relationship that's healthy. I need to not have alcohol in my life. I need to be clear. I need to be well supported. I need to be, you know, it needs to be good. Right. And then I'd go back into space with him. And again, that oxytocin love bond that like, you know, the intensity of that, which is supposed to keep families together, Mm -hmm. right? Like bless it because it's supposed to keep families together. Those moments after birth, like so beautiful for that, but you really got to be careful who you're doing that bonding with. Right. Like I had made that decision because of my decisions I had done that bonding with somebody who really wasn't able to show up in that way that I needed in the way that you know anybody would really need in that support space and so going back and forth between like clear in my own self and then get muddy and unclear and convoluted and losing my power again in that dynamic and there was this moment after um you know around my son's second and a half year uh, where I realized, like for the sixth time in our relationship, I was like, okay, we're really, really done. And in that moment, I was able to let him go from love rather than hatred. I didn't have to go, you're bad, you're terrible, you're a deadbeat, blah, 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 blah. Although maybe some of those things were true. I was definitely still feeling them, um, you know, feeling angry and frustrated about that. But I didn't need to go, you're bad, get out. It was like, you're doing your own life your way. And that's just really not what I need. And you need to leave. Right. And it's a bit of a subtle distinction, but being able to do that and go like, and I still love you. And I still really want you like close to my body and to be held net by you, but you're really not willing to offer holding or kindness or touch or support. And I've been supporting you for the last two years as well as our child, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And that moment came about, that moment came about actually because I missed a period and I thought I was pregnant. I thought I was pregnant again with another baby from him. And I, it really caused me to do like a big, like, whoa, 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 check up and check in and see whether I was in the right place. And, you know, I was 52 days late from when my period should have been. And uh, so that started me, that started me on um, healthy eating. I was in Mexico at the time 
And I was like, oh my God, I might be pregnant. I Googled like, I'm like, I'm not having another baby with this guy. Like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. And I Googled um, abortion in Mexico. Abortion's illegal in Mexico. Um, You know, so I had this vision of like picket line, like flying to a 25 million person city as somebody who really prefers small towns and, or flying back to Canada and being like, mama, like I gotta, I gotta have an abortion in Canada. Like, I know you don't believe in that. So what are we going to do? You know, just sort of feeling really trapped in that. And so I started looking up like what are some like herbal ways of changing that and going into, you know, finding a list of herbs and being like, okay, and then going to the market and being like, where do I get my root in? Where do I get my like high concentrate vitamin C so I can start and stop it? Um, where like I'm going to drink coffee because coffee is going to help help with the miscarriage, you know, I'm going to run like a maniac because running like that high adrenaline, like ah, tiger's out to get me is going to like help promote a miscarriage, that kind of stuff. So I looked into all of these different solutions. Uh, I radically changed my diet. I started doing smoothies and, um, you know, just like a lot of things that were going to, that I thought were going to shift and change this for me. I ended up putting parsley in my vagina because parsley is an emmengog, I think. I can't remember. It's like one of those herbs that helps like open the uterus. Yeah. It's one of the strangest things I've ever done. <laughs> but it worked. It worked. And like a lot of prayer and like 50 something days in and parsley up my vagina. And I remember getting that, like that blood come down and just be like, Oh, thank God. Like, and just being like, okay, I'm out of that. I'm out of that. I'm out of that fire hole, but now I've got to exit the relationship and leaving the relationship. And then, and then after leaving after he went back to Canada I stayed in Mexico I moved into a place that reminded me of like an old convent because I was like no man for a bit I just need to take a pause like I know my sex drive will like put me back in a relationship in less than three months if I don't like consciously stop it mm-hmm. so um so I moved into a place that reminded me of a convent and it was really terrible um but <laughs> functional and then um yeah and then there was this couple like a month after that there was this moment where you know I was still I was still laughing and crying pretty regularly really intensely you know probably for that first three four years and um and there was this moment on the rooftop of the the house that we were living it had like a a top floor patio kind of thing Mm -hmm. and my son was two he's just sort of like crawling around on the the roof and checking life out and the birds are there and there's like palm trees everywhere. It's totally perfect. Like by anyone's standards, I'm in like a perfect moment, totally in suffering, totally in my story, totally like, Oh, life is this disaster. And woe is me and stuff like this. And I've been studying a lot of positive psychology. I've been studying a lot of, um, you know, happiness, how to become happy, how to work on your happiness. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm crying. I'm like sobbing. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> why, why, why did this happen to me? You know, just like really lost in it. Um, And I heard this little voice and it said, well, do the things you've been practicing, do the things you've been studying. And it was like, okay, okay. So I put my arms out. Okay. I'm going to go a power pose. I'm going to reduce my cortisol. I'm going to up my, up my, myself, my sense of self-confidence. I'm going to put my neck back and be vulnerable and like open in the world and tell my body, like, there's nothing to hide from. I'm okay. I'm safe. And I put this shitty eating grin on my face. I'm still crying. I'm like, I'm crying. I just got to keep smiling. I know. I don't know why it's so weird. Right. And so I just like, I'm holding this and I just hold it. I set a timer for like two minutes. I'm like, just, just try it. Like, this is what you tell people when you're working with people about their happiness. Like this is everything, you know, just jam it all together and try it. And what happened is I went 
from this experience of sobbing and the physical body position actually just kicked my nervous system from fight or flight, terror, destruction, whatever, over into like, oh, I think actually everything's okay. And I had this experience and this vision of like with my arms open being overlaid on the like the Jesus cross right like overlaid on the body of Jesus and I'm not super religious I was raised within a Christian tradition so that's the metaphor that makes most sense to my deep subconscious um but I'm not like it doesn't have to be Jesus or whatever but there was the sense of like oh like forgive them father they know not what they do and then I had this like like super fast sort of selection of like oh realizing like my son's dad was like severely traumatized as a child and like hadn't been hurting me on purpose just didn't know how to show up better in his life and my two-year-old wasn't intentionally torturing me with being a two-year-old he was just trying to figure out life and I was interpreting it as torture you know it was like forgive them forgive them forgive them and then there's these like waves of just like energy and release and it was like all of the trauma had some somewhere to go, you know, and I just started like giggling hysterically I'm, and and laughing and just relaxing and all this forgiveness just like coming over me and being like, oh, oh, okay. Like all of it's here for my benefit. All of it's here to support me. Nobody's doing it on purpose to hurt me. They're just also wounded um, and really recognizing that on like a deep, 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 deep level. And when that experience sort of like shook down and I was like, whoa, like what just happened? You know, I kind of came out of this like trance-like transcendental space. I was like, what was that? And again, I heard this voice and I was like, that was a joygasm. I'm like, what the fuck's a joygasm? You know, and it's like, you'll find out, go share it with people. And at that moment, I had, I had a path forward. I had, I knew in that moment that I knew in that moment that suffering was a choice that I could open my arms and throw my neck back and put a shit eating grin on my face when I was sobbing my eyes out. And there was an 80% chance that I would just start having a, something resembling an orgasm instead, like a giddy orgasm. And it's like, okay, now that I know that, huh? Now that I know that, I really know that I'm choosing suffering when I when I'm in suffering. Mm -hmm. If I if I recognize I'm in suffering and I don't do something about it, I'm literally choosing it. And I would love to tell you that that transformed my life and I was radically better from that moment forward. But actually, it was like a three year integration period or more of me sort of realizing like, oh, I continue to choose suffering. I continue to choose trauma. I continue to choose pain. I know I can do this thing to fix it. And I don't, you know, and, and that added its own layers of self-judgment and self-hatred and self-loathing because it's like, I know I can fix it, but I'm not, you know? So then there's this like, journey after that to sort of go like, I love you. It's okay. I can utilize this practice, but I don't have to utilize this practice. Um, it's okay to feel my emotions. It's okay to like feel my emotions deeply and then move into joy and sort of started building that habit of like, oh, really sad. Okay. Feel all the really sadness and then move over to, um, then move over to joy. Then, you know, once you're done with the sadness, then choose joy. Don't shut the sadness down to feel the joy. Like, you know, that was a, that was a whole learning process that I went through because for a while I was just like, F you sadness, let's do some joygasm instead. F you sadness, let's do some joy, joygasm instead. Right. So there was a level of like kindness to self that really needed to be learned. Um, 
And like I said, like there was a day after doing that practice and doing the I love yous, which I teach to people, um, which is just the process of like kissing yourself on the arms and saying, I love you, like on both sides, you know, every morning and just being like, I love the body. Cause so often it's like the mind understands, but it's the body that needs the healing. Yeah. And in order for the body to heal, it needs to feel safe. It needs to feel loved. It needs to feel compassion, you know? So I worked with the mind for probably about five years after my son was born. And then I had a partner come in who had some pretty intense mental illness experience uh, himself. You know, I was very, I was identified with being an undiagnosed bipolar woman, right? I didn't want to go get a diagnosis. I didn't want their pills. I didn't trust the medical establishment. I didn't think they had the solution for me. So I had gone after all the holistic things that I could, but I also recognized that like my symptomology most closely resembled bipolar. And I was pretty aware of that. Um, and then later when I did talk to mental health professionals in the Western medical system, they were like, you know, you're pretty self-aware for a bipolar lady. And I'm like, yeah, but guess what? It doesn't help. <laughs> It's like, doesn't actually help that much. I'm still really stuck in it. So, um, but uh, the, the point is sort of coming back around is that, you know, I did a lot of work with my mindset, with the stories, uh, you know, after my son's dad left for the last time, it took me six months to get your fucking hippie friends out of my head. You know, like I'd hear that every time I went and sat with like somebody I thought was interesting and be like this voice just like, ah. You know, so I worked with that for a long time. And then this um, other partner came in who had been working with nutrition in a really big way. And he was like, you got to get on some vitamin therapy. You got to do high dose nutrition. You got to cleanse your guts. You've got to, um, you know, you got to cleanse the glyphosate. You got to cleanse the parasites. You got to cleanse the biofilm that ho hosts both of those things. Um, you got to cut out the gluten and the dairy and the sugar and, um, you know, and so then I dove into that journey and that was incredible because to that point, I had really only worked with my mind, my mind and my emotions, let's say, but I hadn't really done a lot of work on the physical body. I hadn't really, I didn't know how depleting pregnancy and breastfeeding for three years, which is what I chose to do, um, can be on the body, right? So I'm like four years into like basically negative nutrients into my body and gosh how does that impact the mental health how does that impact our resiliency our ability you know so now it's like really passionate about nourishing mothers and making sure that they've got like high density nutrition going into their bodies and because mm -hmm. I just saw an absolute turnaround it was like whoa when I cut out those like inflammatory foods and when I started adding in like high density fermented and uh, sprouted and properly prepared like uh, food products, like whole food products. Gosh, like my, my whole mindset, like when I got those omegas back in my body is like, oh, I can remember things again. I'm, I'm not like as, uh, like ADD in all the different directions I can focus, I can remember. And it was like, oh, like my body has just been nutrient depleted for four years. And then before that, from the, the birth control and, you know, just not eating well for, for a long time, eating a really conventional western diet type thing yeah so you know it, it's it's levels and levels and layers and then once the diet stuff got on board it was like oh now I need to deal with like family of origin trauma and talk to my mom about how I felt under supported in that time and talk to my dad about 
you know, what, what happened there and really bring those conversations into openness and ask for what I need, ask for what I needed then and received it in the present moment so that I could heal that. Right. It was like, Oh, in that moment, I needed this, that, and the other thing I can't go back in time, but if you could offer those to me now, that would be wonderful, you know, and just receiving that and being in a place where we could actually openly talk about it. And once I had done those three things, so sort of like work on the mindset, work on the nutrition and then deal with the, the issues in the place of origin as much as I could, then it was like, oh, okay. Like I finally have moved through this experience. And it took me about eight to 10, eight years of like some pretty hardcore trial and error and a lot of trying to do it on my own um, and not really knowing what I was doing and distrusting a lot of people along the way, definitely distrusting like the Western medical for good reasons. Mm yeah, that I really sort of came through and was like, oh, like the self-loathing is no longer here. The self-hatred is no longer here. The desire to throw myself off a building and kill my son along the way is no longer here. Um, I don't think about driving off of bridges anymore. Um, that seems like a really strange thing to think about for me. Whereas like maybe five years ago, I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember those days. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Now I'm like, what the heck? That was, that was really weird. Like there's some serious stuff going on that needed needed healing, right? And I think a lot of people end up stuck in that place that I was, you know, in varying degrees of functioning, not functioning with too many kids to drive to school and back and forth or too many Zoom calls for their kids schooling or whatever that might be. And because they're in a place of just sort of go, 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 there isn't the time to do that healing work or they don't know what the next step is or they've tried things and it hasn't worked. And for me, it was like, oh, like you can do it in layers or you could just try doing all of it together and just go like, okay, like, have you tried all of these things all at once, you know, and see what happens, um, you know, with some guidance, with some support, with like the knowledge of how to work with that mind that says, ah, you know, I know you want to make changes, but we really want to stay stuck. And it's like, how do you work with that? So yeah, I've, I've really, I've dived into a lot of it for my own healing. And now I'm like, okay, I'm in a, I'm in a good place. I can tell the story of recovery. I can tell that like everything's beautiful. And, you know, it took me six more relationships after that six breakups to really, um, to really end up in a place where like, I'm now in a really happy relationship with, um, with my partner and we're in a place where my son calls him dad and he, we're all really happy together. We have like a healthy dynamic rather than a codependent or abusive, or, you know, I went through a couple of variations before I, before I got it right. And was like, Oh, got to get the mind, the heart and the vagina all in agreement on one human. And then really ask good questions and make sure that they're, they're on board for the journey of like being a parent and sort of doing that work to, to make sure that I'm protecting myself, I'm protecting my family, and we're really in a in a good place. Uh, and that all started with like taking care of myself first and going like, okay, I need to figure this out for myself so that I can be in a good place, so I can be a good mom. And then, okay, what does a good dad look like? What does that actually look like? Maybe I don't have the best role model for that. So what do other people, what are other people's experiences of having good dads listening to those stories and go, okay, I'm looking for something like that. Not something that reminds me of my childhood family of origin, which like is also beautiful in its own way, right. but also had challenges. So um, yeah, lots and lots of things. Yeah. Lot, lots of things. And, you know, especially the, the, you know, all, all of, 
all of the bit about, you know, just kind of coming back to yourself and just really healing yourself and taking care of yourself. I think sometimes as mothers, we can kind of get lost in the swirl of just, you know, hyper-focusing on our, on our child, you know, rightfully so, and understandably so, because, you know, there are, there are center, um, that we sometimes neglect ourselves. Um, but yeah, to, I, I personally think too, to be, to be the best, to be the best mother version of ourselves. Yeah. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to heal those layers. We have to cut those cords. And I'm, and that's a really, you know, it's a beautiful, I'm thank you for sharing that. And, uh, you know, especially to hear that by cutting those cords, you know, you are your fullest and best self. And, you know, here you are also, you know, sharing your story you have your own podcast too that we you know we talked about very briefly um before we started recording on joygasmic birth on you know other you know variations of birth you said twins as well um can you just really briefly just talk a little bit about that as well you know just where people can find you and then the work that you do yeah yeah so um uh, probably the easiest way to find the podcast is just to search on your favorite platform for the joygasmic life. And the podcast is all is geared towards conscious mothers, women who are on an awakening journey, who understand that there are trauma lines that need to be healed, who understand, you know, they're looking for holistic ways to solve problems for their their families, whether that's their own sort of mental health issues or whether it's picky eaters or they're looking, you know, they're expecting another baby and they're wanting to do a better version than they did in the past. And so I interview experts uh, who are traditional Chinese medicine doctors, Ayurveda practitioners, Taoist uh, sexual healing practitioners, um, as well as women who are now in sort of the birth support professional women who are in the birth support professional field who are offering sort of mom-to-mom support um, to share their stories, share the things that worked. Uh, we, di- we dig into sort of common issues and I'm bringing together this summer, I'm bringing together a couple of panels. So some of those women who have shared their stories and shared their voices on the podcast, we're going to get together in sort of a more group format and invite women who are looking for transformation or who want sort of three or four perspectives, like instead of going to one practitioner, they're like, what, what, you know, what, what about all these angles? What, what are the, the commonalities between them? Because there are a lot of commonalities between how Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine would handle, um, you know, some of the common issues that women are having postpartum. And so, yeah, we talk about all of those things. Uh, I do long segment formats, so like an hour to an hour and a half um, with people. And then I also chop them down into like five to 10 minute chunks, sort of the best little gems, because I know moms are busy and there's a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of things to do. So, um, you know, I want to make it really easy and accessible those really good gems that come out of those podcasts. And then um, if they're local in BC, I'm doing in-person events uh, sort of in the Kootenai Valley and pairing up with a woman in the US to offer some online uh, mom-to-mom support group as well. I ran a joygasmic free birth group last 
uh, winter, which was really incredible. We had a group of women that came together and just did village prenatal style and chatting with each other and sharing stories. We had a couple of first time moms and one lady who'd already has had an orgasmic birth and another lady who was a first time mom. And so just sharing those stories. Hey, I'm worried about this this week. Oh, honey, I already did that. Like, don't you worry. Here's what you need to do. Blah, blah, blah. You know, we've got tearing, you know, that first time mom, she did have some tearing and, Mm -hmm. and so getting to having four moms show up in that first week postpartum with her, she lived really remotely out in the mountains, you know, but we were able to chat with her and be like, we all swore with our first, you really just needed to take it easy you'll be okay. It'll heal up. You know, like she needed to hear that from voices. Even if we weren't in person, she needed to hear it from voices, not just like text messages on the internet from strangers. Right. So it was a really beautiful container we created there and I'll be running that again. And yeah. So if people want to check out that work. Um, I'll make sure you have all the links for that and I'm sure they'll be in the show notes. So awesome. yeah. Well, Elena, thank you so much for this very um, beautiful, insightful, deep, profound, um, and very just juicy and knowledgeable conversation. I feel like I've learned quite so much um, today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. um, Is there any last bit of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with? Oh, um, You can absolutely have the birth and the mothering journey that you want. You're going to have to work for it. The world out there is not particularly set up to support you, but you can create what you need. And in order to do that, you might need some guidance to figure out what you actually need. So, you know, looking to other mothers who are living the way that you want to, looking to other mothers who have been through that journey and and gaining their wisdom is absolutely a really powerful way to do that. And you know, even if you had a traumatic birth, you can transform the way that you've mapped that, the way that you tell the story. Um, You know, my birth, and as I told the story today, was a really traumatic experience for me, but it also was a very liberating, awakening, and profound experience for me. And even though in the moment I was not super grateful for it, now I am and there's a lot of silver lining that came out of that. And even actually talking to Deborah Pascali Bonaro recently, I realized I actually did have an orgasmic birth. Um, there were moments of joy and ecstasy and complete liberation and connection to divine union in that birth. But unless I was looking for it, unless I went back and reframed it and connected to it and explored it in that way and let go of the trauma, there was no way I was going to be able to see that, right? To see how wise my body was. It's really easy to, to catch on to how traumatic it was and to let go of all the beautiful things that happen along the way. So even if you've had challenges in your journey, the encouragement is to come back to gratitude, come back to, you know, find that unconditional love and that care for yourself. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jaden, for the opportunity. I really appreciate getting to share my story today. And yeah, I'm happy to chat with anybody who's been inspired and and support because I know I'm just trying to be here being the woman that I needed when I was there. You know, it's like been through it. Now I know how can I support. Well, thank and thank you for providing that for other women. Yes, I think we're all we're all grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Storytelling is a profound agent of change. 
one that has the ability to plant seeds of inspiration, introspection, and beyond. If you have an empowering birth story that you would like to share on our podcast, please head over to IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior to send your submissions. That's IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior. Hope you have a beautiful week wherever you are in the world. Until next time, friends.